Bitterness, part three, and reading Acts chapter eight in this episode of The Gray Schnapper. The country boy can't survive. Right? <laughs> Let's start off with a quick encouragement today from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the Ephesian church. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And notice, this is what he prays for them. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay, so true understanding of the world, a true, true revelation of reality is found in the knowledge of Christ. He goes on in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his, in, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So God's power was at work for us when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and then when he raised him up and seated him at his own right hand. What's really cool in chapter 2, it says that when he was raised, we were raised with him. We've been united with Christ and we are raised up with him, and we are seated with him in the heavenly places. And it says that he's raised far above all rule and authority and power, every kind of uh, dominion. He is far above everything else. That in- includes worldly rulers as well as those in the demonic realm. He is far above them, and we've been raised up with him. So in him, we're going to overcome all things, all sin, all suffering and death. When he comes again, then our life will really begin. So, uh, just that for a quick encouragement. Now, let's get into our weekly warning. Alrighty. First thing I want to mention today about our weekly warning is uh, the idea of letting your feelings lead you, okay? Letting your heart lead you. The world wants to tell you that whatever you feel, that is what is true and that is what is right, uh, that you're to follow your heart. But the scripture says that your heart is deceitful that it is self-favoring. You tend to be, you tend to favor yourself uh, and, and, and think yourself to be right. People are often right in their own eyes. Uh, our feelings are often not based on reality. Sometimes they are. Sometimes our feeling, feelings are based in reality, but often our feelings are not based in reality, and they're not based in truth, and they're not based in wisdom. They're not based on what is actually good for us. Think about this. We often don't feel like doing the thing that is best for us. We don't feel like, you know, starting a new exercise routine. We don't feel like starting, uh, changing our diet and letting go of foods that are actually uh, harmful to our health because we like them, right? We don't feel like doing that. We don't feel like going to work. So if we let our feelings lead us, we're going to end up in a ditch, and uh, and we're actually it's going to lead us away from God. And Satan knows this. He likes to uh, tempt us, especially through our feelings, and then telling us that. We should give in to those feelings, those desires. Uh, other things that we may feel that are not true are, are things like this. We, we may feel that God doesn't love us when he actually loves us more than anyone does. 
Or we may not feel guilty about sin when we should, when we should be really convicted about it, but it doesn't bother us because we've gotten used to it. And so I just want to warn us against letting our feelings lead us. What should lead us is truth, God's truth, revealed in his scriptures, right? What what does the Bible say about what is real and true and what God wants for us and what God has decided is best for us? And we, by faith, we follow him and we, we do what he says, regardless of how we feel. So with that, let's talk about our resource spotlight. Austin's over there flamenco dancing. Flamenco, flamenco, flamenco dancing. All right. Anyways, <clears throat> our resource spotlight, we're continuing to work through the book by Lou Priolo. It's just a little bitty book called Bitterness, The Root That Pollutes. Uh, and we're going to talk today uh, about the issue of transforming your feelings from uh, from his book on bitterness. Okay, We've already talked about bitterness and what it comes from and, and how to deal with it and what forgiveness looks like and all that kind of stuff. So go back and look at previous episodes if you haven't uh, done so previously. This will be following through on those, um, those topics about transforming how you feel. Okay, So we're to forgive even though we don't feel like forgiving because forgiveness is uh, in one sense a transaction. It's a, it's a way of, of making a promise to the person that you're promising not to bring this up to them. You're, you're promising not to bring this up to others in order to hurt that person. You're not going to dwell on it and let it hinder your personal relationship anymore. That's where forgiveness is, right? Well, but you may still struggle with the feelings. Um, And so Lou talks about how to go about transforming your feelings when you don't feel like forgiving the person, okay? So we're going to read from Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 17 through 21, and just go ahead and listen to this. It says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. Isn't that interesting? Never take your own revenge. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, Lou starts off by highlighting that last phrase there. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. He says here that we are actually commanded to win this battle against evil. We're, not, we're commanded to not let it overcome us. Instead, we are to overcome it. The question is, how do you do that? But the first thing to understand is that you don't have the option to let evil win. You don't have the option to let evil overcome you. And that would happen by overcoming you. For evil to overcome you would for you to, be, uh, to act in an evil way in response to evil. That's when evil is getting the upper, upper hand, when you respond to evil with evil, when you fight evil with evil. Uh, I want to quote this from his book directly here. Uh, he says this in verse 17, you are warned against the improper use of weapons and briefed on the importance of developing a battle plan. And then verse 18 stresses the importance of peace 
the antithesis and desired result of war. Verse 19 cautions you not to take personal vengeance and offers guidance on the do's and don'ts of retaliation. Verse 20 provides you with instruction on how to destroy your enemy with coals of fire. And verse 21 twice contains the wartime term for conquer or overcome. Well, this is a battle that we are in, okay? And you may have some symptoms of battle fatigue that you're, that you're facing. And Lou gives a few of these symptoms. Here, here they are. Thoughts of resentment towards another person. Number two is he'll never change. I, can put up with, I can't put up with them any longer. These are the thoughts that might be going through your head. You're getting tired in the battle. You're close to being overcome by evil. Number three, unnecessarily limiting the scope of your communication because of unsuccessful attempts to resolve conflicts with him in the past. So just trying to just um, avoid communication and just keeping it incredibly narrow in its scope. Number Four, allowing anger to keep you from confronting them biblically. Okay, so you're growing, ti- you're growing tired, and so then you are angry with the person. And a lot of times when you are sinfully angry, it keeps you from actually confronting them biblically. They might be sinning. They might be doing something wrong. They might be doing something evil. But you are called to confront that sin. You're, you're called to deal with that in a biblical way. Well, then you're to, uh, number five, you may be growing weary by allowing yourself to become to become sinfully angry, anxious, or depressed about ways in which he or she has hurt you. Okay, so you're angry, anxious, and depressed about these things. You're dwelling on these things. The next one is allowing your hurt feelings to keep you from fulfilling your biblical responsibilities, especially toward the person at whom you are bitter. Okay, you can, in a husband-wife situation, it may be uh, the husband uh, avoiding Communication with his wife, not leading her, not loving her, withholding intimacy, those kinds of things, allowing those hurt feelings to keep you from fulfilling the biblical responsibilities. The next symptom is resorting to sinful and retaliatory actions like the following. Abusive speech, name-calling, saying things uh, in a mean way, raising your voice in order to hurt them. Gossip. Okay, saying, going around and saying just horrible things about them to other people. Uh, spreading, whether it could be slander or it could be gossip, but it's, you know, gossip is saying maybe things that are true um, that are intended to embarrass or hurt that person. Uh, slander would be making things up about that person in order to hurt them. Okay, another thing that you may resort to is just pouting where you uh, just go you know, sulk in the corner, okay, or quarreling, fighting, and being contentious, Um, temper tantrums, okay, just going off and just yelling and and screaming and throwing a fit, Uh, threatening someone, uh, or just completely withdrawing from them. These responses are fighting evil with evil, but we're not called to do this. We're to, we're to call, we're called to overcome this evil with good, okay? And so that is the first approach that we need to take to these issues. Fight evil with good. Romans 12, 14 says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. The question is not how long can I hold out in the face of their attacks, but rather how can I use the resources God has given me to fight with, uh, the, 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 resource, the resources that God has given me to fight with 
to defeat the foe? How can I use those resources to defeat them? Okay, so that, that must be your approach. Respond to evil with good. That might be truth. That might be kindness. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, ways that you could do that. But that must be your determination. Fight evil with good. Number two is plan ahead how you will do so. Okay, Romans twelve seventeen says, uh, respect what is right in the sight of all men. Don't never pay back evil for evil, but respect what is right in the sight of all men. And translated translated literally, according to Lou here, uh, that means to have uh, some planning put in in place ahead of time. Think ahead of how you will respond in the face of evil. Okay, so plan plan ahead. Don't just show up. Don't let your feelings guide you. Don't go in without a plan. Have a plan so that when someone uh, treats you in a, in a negative, evil, uh, sinful, unkind way, that you will respond to that with good. Number three, consider the part that you play in, in the conflict, okay? Romans twelve eighteen says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, okay? So you have to think about your part, okay? If it's possible, be at peace as far as it depends upon you. That means that there are some things, some things that you do. There are some parts that you play. You may have provoked this evil in some way. Now listen, when someone responds in an evil way, that is their responsibility, okay? They can't blame their evil response on you. However, there are ways in which you can become a stumbling block or in which you may provoke it and you may poke and make it extremely difficult. Are there things that you have done that are that have made it more difficult for that person have you provoked the the evil have you tried to egg it on okay have you number two have you protracted that evil okay so that first question was have i provoked it the second is have i protracted it or aggravated it in any way and then number three have i prolonged the problem by not dealing with it quickly okay conflicts among believers should be resolved quickly uh, Matthew five twenty three through twenty four says this. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and therefore rem- and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come present your offering. You see, um, it, it's kind of a farce to uh, to not pursue reconciliation with uh, another believer knowing that there's something against you and you haven't said or done any you, you haven't done your part to be at peace okay and then to come and present your offering to God that offering is an expression of worship and and trying to be reconciled to God you see if you're unwilling to be reconciled to one another it's you're actually it, it's hypocritical to then go pretend that you are at peace with God so it says there if you if you have not dealt with your conflicts if there's, you know there's some thing that someone has against you uh, or vice versa, if you've done something wrong against someone, man, you, you need to go and deal with that. Number four, okay, after you've considered your part, let God handle the vengeance part, okay? Your part is to do good in the face of evil, to, to make right whatever you've done wrong, Number four is, is let God handle the vengeance part. Romans twelve nineteen says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 
Okay, so it's not your job to punish. It's not your job to uh, control the other person. It's not your, your job to make sure that they do everything the way that you think it ought to be done. You don't have the authority to execute uh, vengeance on someone. Okay, that's God's job. You're essentially usurping God's job if you try to take revenge on someone. You try to inflict pain and wound them because of what they've done to you. That's vengeance. So you don't have the authority. You also don't have the ability to execute proper judgment, okay? Because you don't know the heart. You don't know all the aspects of it. God is the only one who can really bring about thorough justice, right? So 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Then each man's praise will come to him from God. Okay, so you don't know the heart. God's going to deal with that. It will be exposed, and he will deal with it exactly right. So you leave that to him. Uh, that reminds me of, of Christ in First Peter, where it says that he didn't take any vengeance for himself. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And that's First Peter 2, the end of First Peter 2. So then, we are to fight evil with good. We're to plan ahead for how we will do so. Number three, we'll consider our part in the conflict. And number four, we will let God handle the vengeance. And then last, number five, we're going to love our enemies. Romans 12, 20. If, you're, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Okay, so when we're talking about love here, we're not talking about the feelings of love. We're talking about the actions of love. Love your enemy. Do good for them, no matter how you feel about it in the moment. Uh, Matthew 5.44 says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, so that's how your feelings change. So on a practical note, make a list of the ways that you can overcome evil with good by responding to your offender in love when he or she sins. Now, I wanna, wanted to read to you a little bit of an example that he gave from his own personal life about how he transformed his own feelings in a, in a particular situation. He talks about how when he and his wife Kim, this is Lou Priolo, he and his wife Kim had been married for less than a year, they had a they had a conflict, and they were angry at each other, and uh, it wasn't resolving. It wasn't it wasn't getting any better. They weren't gaining any clarity. So what Lou did in that moment, he decided that he was going to go uh, to the store and buy her some flowers. And he talks about how on the drive he kept thinking and pleading, "Lord, please help her to see how unreasonable she's being." <laughs> He kept going over the conflict in his mind, and he was struggling with, in a sense, cursing her while in the process of physically, you know, physically going to get flowers in order to bless her. So he, he was, as an act of his will, in direct contradiction to his emotions, he was trying to overcome her evil with good the way that he saw it. Of course, he saw her as being <laughs> evil in the moment, and... You know, of course, a lot of times we do that. We, we, we don't see our part in it. But he was trying to obey that command. And he, he relays this. As I continued driving to the store, trying to fight bitterness, my emotions continued to torment me. I walked into the store, 
resolutely determined to fight back, biblically, still struggling with bitter feelings. And then it happened. The moment I picked up those flowers, my entire thought pattern and emotional response immediately and radically changed. I can't wait to see the expression on her face when I give her these flowers, I thought. As soon as she sees them, she's going to melt. She won't be able to stay upset with me now. This is going to knock her socks off. She'll not be able to resist any longer. And he says this, The drive home was quite different from the drive to the flower shop. Excitement and, and anticipation grew as I rehearsed what I was going to say to her. My heart began to fill with loving feelings, the, the feelings that had eluded me all morning. And I was actually looking forward to the ensuing conversation. Well, he goes on, and, and they were able to resolve it. He says that when Kim realized that I was going to show her love, and even though she was not being loving to him, she softened, and in 10 minutes, the whole conflict was brought to a biblical resolution. So that was an example that of a specific uh, situation in which he was angry, didn't feel like loving his wife, was bitter towards her, and in a sense was even harboring a little bit of resentment in his, in his heart. But as he was determining to love her in the process, the Lord changed his feelings. And so that is a, a good example, a small example, uh, but perhaps something that might give you some ideas. And I would just encourage you, write down as many ways as you can to overcome evil with good in the way that you respond to whoever is offending you. And with that, let's get to our scripture reading for today. You like, you like that skill, Austin? Watch out, Guyan. Okay. So, scripture reading for today. Acts chapter 8. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. All right. What's going on? Well, this was just after the Sanhedrin had stoned Stephen to death. Stephen was preaching. He confronted them about how uh, they were just like all the, the Israelites of, of the Old Testament who persecuted the prophets and killed them, even though they thought they were right with God. And they got so angry with them, with him, they got so angry with him that they took him out and stoned him to death. And they laid all of their garments, okay, so that they could have a full range of motion to throw these stones at Stephen. They took their outer garments off and laid them at the feet of, of Saul of Tarsus. Well, Saul is who this is talking about. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. I find that to be pretty amazing that the apostles stayed. Everyone else scattered, and it was fine. They were, they, they were supposed to scatter. That was all right. But the apostles stayed in the midst of this violent persecution. Number two, some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. I love this, that they were being persecuted for preaching the word. And then as they were fleeing, the ones who had been scattered went on their way preaching the word. Verse 5, Philip, one of the apostles, 
went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. Many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention, because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Okay, so this is really important. The Holy Spirit came through the laying on, the apostles, laying on of the apostles' hands. At that time, it was super important to, uh, to identify that this was coming through a direct line of teaching. Jesus and the apostles and prophets, those are the foundations of the church. And there is no true church that is outside of that foundation. So it was very important at this time for that to be demonstrated in that the Holy Spirit was given through the apostles' teaching, through, through, through those specific men, Peter and, uh, who was it, Peter and John? Who, yeah, Peter and John. All right, so they were laying their hands on receiving the Holy Spirit. Now here's this guy, Simon. Formerly, um, you know, the guy with the magic arts, he believed, and and now he's, he offers money. <laughs> Verse 19 says, Give me this authority as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, just think, how would you respond to a guy like that? Okay, he had, come, he had been formerly this performer of magic arts. Now he's believed in Jesus, and here he is at church, and now this amazing thing is happening, and now he's offering money. Okay, how would you respond? Now think, think about this. Listen to how Peter responds to him. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. You see, he desired that power for himself and thinking it could be obtained through money rather than through uh, faith in Christ and uh, distributed at the Lord's will. So he calls him to repent. Verse 24, But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you said may come upon me. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem 
and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. By the way, the angel didn't whisper to him. He showed up and told him directly. It was unmistakable, right? He didn't get a feeling that he should go down to Gaza. An angel of the Lord directly spoke to him. And so he got up and did exactly what he was told. Verse 27, So he got up and he went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which was he was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does this prophet say this? Of himself or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he is baptized, and he baptized him. And they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord, when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no longer, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself as at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Pretty cool stuff. The Lord is building his church in spite of the persecution, people being saved, and even the first documented African is saved right here soon after, uh, soon after Pentecost. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. And there's still a long tradition uh, of the African church there even to this day. What a, what a cool thing. God's gospel is powerful and uh, nothing has been able to stop it in all of history. Thank you for listening to The Grace Snapper, a podcast of Grace Church of Napa Valley. If you'd like more information about ministry and resources here, you can go to gracenapa.org. And until next time, keep swimming.